Coming to you from Las Vegas, this is the Bar Stars Happy Hour, a show for bar people by bar people. We'll get to know different bar stars from around the globe and serve up tips, tricks, and the untold tales of the industry. So whether you sling drinks in a bar or just enjoy a round or two, join us for happy hour, because this pod's for you. Welcome into the Bar Stars Happy Hour. My name is Tom. I'm Jackie. And we back. <laughs> we took a little time off. We were crazy, no, no. crazy busy. I'm going to edit that. We did not take time off. Actually, in the background, we have been working double time and overtime on so many different crazy projects. But we're That's happy true. to be back doing this because this is what we love. Yes. This is, we've been wanting to do this and. It's crazy. You're working at the brand new and amazing Resorts World. Yay! Yeah. Open that property. Tell us a little bit about that. I was super fortunate and lucky to be a part of the opening team. Obviously, I'm still there. Um, Honestly, I don't even want to say too much. It's a fantastic, ridiculously cool property. There's so many things going on. And uh, yeah, if you're a local in Vegas and you haven't checked it out, you are totally missing out. And honestly, there's a lot of cool stuff still to come. So yeah, I am happy. Good. Happiness yeah. is good. And <laughs> opening a new property is always, always exciting. To be honest, there was just a lot of it was really emotional. I mean, I guess that sounds cheesy, but just in general to sort of, I mean, I know we're still in the middle of mask restrictions and COVID ups and downs, but to see a project of that magnitude come together. And again, just what it does for the city, like the excitement and the people coming back and people enjoying gatherings and outings and bars and restaurants and exciting things like that's just hopeful. And to me, it's just, it was amazing to be a part of it. It was amazing to see it firsthand. I think it's a sign of what's to come. I think finally our beautiful Allegiant Stadium opening to real people and real football games is going to be just such a buzz of energy in the city. And yeah, I know we're still in a pandemic and we're not out of COVID, but at this point, I wonder if we'll ever be out of COVID. And it's just, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) It's cool to to see everyone working again and enjoying the the fun things in life. So, yeah, Absolutely. I'm happy. But it's been busy and crazy. <laughs> busy and crazy and a lot of hours, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, as some of you know, I... Yeah, you've been a tad busy yourself. Yeah, at Sticks Tavern here. <laughs> um, we were open three months, I guess, and we got nominated for Best of Vegas. No, no, did not get nominated. You won. Well, I was going to get there. I was going to get there. But yes, we won uh, Best Sports Bar in Vegas, Best of Vegas, Las Vegas Weekly. And it was a shock to all of us. We didn't expect anything, but we will take it. And now it's just got to do it again. Super cool because the Las Vegas Weekly um, Best of Vegas Awards is a Reader's Choice Award. And it's they also give out staff picks. So they actually sticks... The team over there won Reader's Choice, which is super cool because, yes, it's a bar out in Henderson. And if you've never been there, people will tell you it's far. It's not far at all. It's 10, <laughs> all 15 the way minutes out, there. out of the city. And it's a super big accomplishment because there's a ton of sports bars in town. And, um, yeah, to have competed with the food and beverage mecca that is Las Vegas and win, I hats off to you guys. I mean, it's ridiculous. And to be honest, again, I'm biased, of course, but go check out Sticks if you haven't. It's on Water Street in Henderson. Uh, Ask for their secret hot dog menu. It's the best. (laughs) Okay, enough about that. If you don't live in Las Vegas, uh, you can follow at Sticks Tavern on Instagram. Mm. And we post a lot of stuff, a lot of our drinks and food and, you know, happy hours and, and stuff like that. So we're going to dive into that a little bit in the social media department. But yeah, it is really, really cool and a really cool honor to to have gotten so early in our our journey there. But speaking of journeys, mm. our guest this week has literally been all over the world and he is one of the most... You guys, this entertaining, interview, impressive people I've ever met. Yeah, this interview's rad. He is 
He's got so much experience, so much zest for life, so much knowledge in the food and beverage world. And he's an amazing example of what you, what magic you can do with that knowledge and what you can accomplish. So. Absolutely. He's, he's determined to build a legacy and he's, he's doing it. He's already doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to be joined by our next guest. He's a bartender. He's a trainer. He's an educator. He's an author and widely recognized as one of the most instrumental figures in the resurgence of the USBG, United States Bartenders Guild. I want to welcome Olivia Laurel to the show. How are you? Thank you so much for spending some time with us. I am fantastic, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm so honored. Yay. Thank you, thank you. So excited to have you. It's our pleasure. I mean, and, and you, you know, we talked earlier, and you carry a lot of hats. You wear a lot of hats. Give us a little update or history lesson of who you are, where you're from, and I believe it's Italy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Um, and just how you came to be in Las Vegas and, and a little bit about the path that took you here. Sure. So I was actually born in San Pedro, California. And mom and dad, of course, were Italians and and to some extent never really left Italy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was born there. And for the first 12 years of my life, we would live nine months in U.S. and three months in Italy. Beautiful Beautiful island called Ischia in the Gulf of Naples, neighbor island of Capri, Capri, Amalfi Coast. Beautiful place. Sounds magical Um, right now. Right. <laughs> Dad was older. Um, and so he retired when I was 12. And at the age of 12 and a half, we moved to Ischia. And that's where my whole new life began, right? Uh, different everything. Even though I would go there every year, it was just life changing to move sure. there. And from that point on, I lived 10 months in Ischia and two months in America because, of course, mom and dad still loved to come here. So, um, so that's my background. Uh, the way I made it into the, to the beverage alcohol business, uh, was simply by working in nightclubs and, um, as a bar, starting as a bar back and then really getting addicted to it. But there was a special moment that two of them, I would say, but definitely one special one that made it happen is in 1984. So I was 12 and, and I, and I was, um, Still living in America, of course, it was before that transition. My cousin, uh, again, because my dad was older, my cousins were older, right? So I was 12 sure. and I had, I had 35, 40 year old cousins. My cousin gets married and, uh, we go to the, what is now, what was then called the Croatian Hall in San Pedro for the celebration of their, of their, uh, of their, uh, wedding. And my dad and his brother, they head over to the bar. And I just follow them, you know, good old Uncle Larry, Uncle Roy. Yeah, anyway, of course. I don't remember who it was, but <laughs> one of them. And, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about what I wanted to talk about, but they wanted to talk about what they wanted to talk about. And at that mm-hmm. time, kids at the bar were, were not a problem. So my dad just tells the bartender, hey, can you um, can you make something for my child? Kind of just to get me to shut up, probably. <laughs> uh, so he makes me, the bartender makes me a Shirley Temple and... And that moment, you know, of the bubbles coming down and the red syrup splashing in and the the cherry and the squiggly straw, I'll never forget it. And it remained in my brain forever. And so that, that I think, was the first moment where I really fell in love with, you know, cocktail drinking culture. For me, I was a kid. That was a drinking culture. You painted and then, such of course, a nostalgic I'm, picture right there. Like, I can see every <laughs> kid standing at a wedding being like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. It's a love affair, right? Yeah. And uh, The my funny f- thing was, is when I was a kid, 12 years old, I would do that in bowling alleys. And I would go to bars with my parents. And it would sit there and Shirley Temple and eat a hot dog. And you're... A young kid sitting at the bar. It was never an issue. Right. It just right. seemed normal. Normal. Know? Absolutely normal. Yeah. And even in my book, The Twelve Cocktails, the first cocktail of the twelve is the Shirley Temple. For a, a lot of reasons. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that's our starting point for so many people. Uh, so then I moved to Italy and I, you know, I went to linguistics school because I didn't speak English perfectly, nor did I speak Italian perfectly. I was this flip-flopper. And so I felt like it was important to go to a school where it wasn't important to just know one language, but just to know a little bit of most, most of them. At least that was what sure. was going on in my brain. Right. And then I started um, 
uh, bar backing. And then when the movie Cocktail came out, I believe it came out in December of 86 in the US, but it came in January of 87 in Italy. So that now I'm, uh, now that's, uh, that's 1987. I, um, it reignited the flame because, right. you know, at that yeah. point I was, 16, 15, at that age, you have so many other things on your mind and you (laughs) forget where you're coming from. And then that movie just kind of re-sparked it. So from there, it was just a heavy career on, okay, this is what I'm going to do for a living and, and, and knee deep into all of it. Yeah. Speaking of cocktail, did you ever actually get into like the flair aspect or has it always been a, the cocktails and mixology? Um, mixology. So I was classically trained, but I was a rebel, right? So I was, <laughs> Not- so I did my version of flair, right? And as long as you picked up the bottle and flipped it and then immediately poured it with your posture, uh, right posture and all those things, yeah. uh, that was the Levio flair. Nothing anything like what you would imagine flair should look like <laughs> the livio flair that's great <laughs> your signature move yeah right right i want to know about this capo barman ives exam mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. want to know what this is i haven't honestly i've not heard of this and it's a pretty prestigious exam yeah, well, in Italy, if you even want to get a good gig as a bartender, IBIS is the way to go. It's the Italian Association, IBIS, okay. IBIS yeah, uh, Italian Association of Bartender and its sustainers, which sustainers mean in the, what they mean there is the liquor industry, who, those who sponsor them. Okay. And um, believe it or not, to become a capo, it's up to four to five year process. It's not that easy. Oh, that's intense. I reached it at 27, and I'm not sure that. M- Anybody else actually did, but that's how how committed I was to it. And it's wow. a th- yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's a three tiered system of you start from uh, aspirant, then you go to bartender, and then you become a couple bartender or a couple barman. And it was about everything that you would consider a hotel bartender would go through. And I believe hotel bartending is a big deal. It's a good starting point for a lot of people because in hotels, you understand the different cultures, you understand the different languages, you understand when you need to be quick and sling and when you need to be slow and refined. So it throws you into all those different ecosystems. And, uh, and so I was, uh, I was, uh, hotel bartending. Uh, I was, uh, trained for the hotel bartending style. And what that meant was, of course, learning the history and the manufacturing process of all, of all the, of all alcoholic beverages, learning how to explain them in different languages. So we were necessarily tested in different languages, but we were asked, for instance, to say something in English about latka or something about botanicals and gin in, in, in different languages. We had to, of course, learn uh, proficient cocktails, and then we had to weird things like what they called a general culture, and they felt like, which they were, on, they are really onto something. That general culture was more important than um, making the drinks, because really, right, absolutely, because for them, what that meant was, hey, listen, a guest comes to your bar, you're 22, they're 55, they have. Uh, mature conversations that they want to talk about and you're there talking about your your favorite uh artist and the common the 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 conversation doesn't work so we had to learn a lot about general knowledge some of it was just crazy stuff that they did just to mess with us we had to learn the colors of the rainbow why i don't know Um, (laughs) but other things we had to learn what for instance was Back then, of course, newspapers, you would go to hotel lobby bars and they had all the newspapers on those little folding baseball bats. Right. You had to know all of them and where things were. So if, if Jackie walked in and I somewhat had to read Jackie and understand if she wanted to uh, have a conversation, if she wanted to do business and open her laptop or if she wanted to kind of laugh. And so I would have to open the page to the, to the funnies. Or, you know, I love okay, maybe the comics. This, you did that great. <laughs> right? Uh, maybe somebody wanted to talk about sports. So I would open to the sport page. Or I would have to be able to say from the other side of the bar, uh, yeah, the funnies are on page 13 right after sports. Things like that. Just general knowledge. That is so interesting. Yeah, to teach yeah. more um, 
it's like very strategic in how to relate to somebody just right off the bat. You know, I mean, and absolutely. That's, that's very, absolutely. Cause and I've you'll... always said, we've talked a lot about this on this show is in the customer service realm of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard of this, what you're, what you're talking about. And I think it's genius, but it, as you know, especially how it relates to hotel bars and, and all the different people coming in and out. Um, but I've always talked about how the secret, is to get two people with nothing in common to find something in common and stay there. Absolutely. And, so beautiful. You know, I, but, but I never, it almost makes sense what you're saying. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's almost where I think that comes from. Well, well, you know, Tom, the, the, what I like to say is a good bartender or a good hospitality person in general. Uh, this sounds weird. It somewhat sounds even controversial, but a good hospitality person is very judgmental very curious, very nosy. Mm. And because with that curiosity and with that nosiness and looking at your watch and figuring out if it's a $20 watch or a $7,000 watch, right. they understand you and they serve you better. So um, I like the nosy bartender. I like the people that don't mind their own business. I like the people that walk in and go, oh my God, it's, that t-shirt stinks. What's he wearing? Yeah. But <laughs> because... That person is probably going to actually provide you with really good service. It's, and, for sure. um, it's true. And the other thing, the whole thing is, I mean, uh, we talk about this all the time, but I mean, you can have the greatest drinks in the world, and of course it matters. But the reason people are going to come back is because of the relationships they build and, and that energy between you and them, and that just speaks to that completely. I mean, to me, that's Absolutely. everything. Yeah, and and Dale DeGroff, who is the reviver of the modern cocktail scene in the United States, uh, he always says, "I go visit bartenders, not bars." Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and and to me, to that also comes in the segue to that right becomes uh, consistency. Right. One of the words that was always is always thrown around is consistent. Be consistent. Be consistent. Now, I'm not oblivious to defending the menu, right? If this is how we serve our, you know, veal parmesan, this is how it should be and 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 our cocktails. I'm not oblivious to that. It's extremely important to the identity of the establishment, but I was taught consistent my 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 capo bar man, the one that trained me, always told me Livio consistency is overrated and 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 you'll only hear the the Anglos and the Americans talk about it. And I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Livio if I make a daiquiri the same way to everybody that walks into this bar tonight, half of them will come back. Some people like it sweeter. Some people like it more acidic. Some people like it more balanced. You have to be inconsistently consistent. And I'm like, okay, so how do I do that? And he would say, say, read the customer and remember them and learn them. You know, be judgmental. That's how you do that. Be judgmental. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's so awesome. We've actually uh, uh, we've reached out to Ago and Giorgio from the Connaught mm-hmm. in London, and it was talking of trying to get them on the show and trying mm-hmm. to figure out when it's going to work. And they've they've agreed to, and I'm so excited about that. But this is that's kind of what I think of when I hear you talk about mm-hmm. when you say like hotel bartending. I mean, they just got the number one bar in the world for a right. reason, you know. But if you look at everything they do inside the cocktail, outside the cocktail, the way they're dressed, everything is so polished. Totally. Totally. It's just it's impressive. It's right. it's very very impressive. No, absolutely. Ago's a class act. I he and I go way back. And uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good times. Good people. And exactly know what they're doing. You know, it's funny. Even when we read, you know, I know uh, this possibly might be a question that comes down in your list about my cocktail books. But you know, behind me here is is one of the my Jerry Thomases, right? Who was the author of the very first American cocktail book. Uh, before yeah. that, there were books about punches and things like that. But this was the book, and of course, he's the most renowned figure in the history of of bartending. And he was a class act, right? He, he, of course, he did a little bit of flair bartending, but he added that attire that everything he did was really top notch. And so you'll see that in, of course, Ago and his, and his team. Um, yeah. And, and that's, it's the full package. The bartender comes with the cocktail. I think that speaks to, um, I can't remember who we spoke to about it with, but they made a really good point in which, 
you know, the entire experience includes stimulating all five senses. So Mm -hmm. every detail, including things like uniform and music and lighting and things that have nothing to do with the bartender or the drink or the server or the drink or whatever it is, they all, it all matters. It all plays into it. Absolutely. When I would go to Francesco's bar, Mr. Coco, uh, Francesco LaFranconi, for those who, who don't know who I'm referring to. Um, By the way, that it, bar was beautiful as well. Like, we have a, one of our best friends, uh, Dario Doimo, used to work there as mm-hmm. well, and Francesco and you know Christian Delpesh, and that place was beautiful. Was. Beautiful, yeah. And when you walked in the hallway, they had um, custom-made fragrances, right? And, and no, they yep. didn't just buy a candle down the street. <laughs> you know, it, it was a custom yeah. fragrance because, again, going back to what Jackie was saying, the aromatherapy was one of the important things. When you walked in, you had to mm-hmm. really feel that impact. And, of course, the beauty of the place and, and, and all the other things that came with it. But, I remember Dario saying that when they were going to do that. He's like, yeah, when you walk down the hallway, we're going to make it smell like what we want you to envision Envision. and so by the time you come in you already have this kind of and uh, and I just said, "Holy shit, that's that level of I detail love it. is great." That is, that's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I love it. What I love too is I don't know if you've seen it on Facebook. Maybe a couple months ago, um, both Dario and Christian um, posted a video of them flipping. I think they're dummies, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Dom Perignon bottles in the hallway of Mr. Yeah. Coco from the there was the a magnums. kitchen. Yeah. yeah, the mag. So there was a kitchen yeah. and there was a hallway, and, and I'm like, oh, so in the front of the house, you guys were very classic. But as soon as you walked out, you couldn't, oh, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't <laughs> hold the bottle. Shows yeah. the heart at that point. Uh, exactly. That's amazing. Very good people. So when you do this, when you when you pa- pass this and you become a, a capo, does it? Within Italy, I mean, if you go somewhere else, is it like that's your resume topper and when it's like a holy shit standout thing? And when they, when you transition to the States, is that noticed? Is that something that is like, wow, that's that's a great accomplishment? So the capo, when, you, when you're when you a capo, it is considered that you went from a, a little sprout to a bush and now you're a tree. But the tree still has to give out the fruit. So it's not the end point, oh my God, but it's the point of your career where now you have to show the world that you're going to give it your, give it fruits. Right. Uh, that's the best way to explain it. And for me, what it did personally to me is it gave me a fiduciary role in beverage and hospitality. And, uh, so, you know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm, I'm still working my way through my, my, um, 100% YouTube identity, but you'll see a lot of shows that will say, well, you could put this in any glass you want. And I'm still right. like, I'm still like, no, there's a proper glass for this. Now you can tell people if you don't have this glass, you can put it in this one, but you have to teach people the right way and then teach them that it's fine to Make move, move around left to right. Right. But learn the right way first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can I can kind of relate because uh, the position I'm in now is a smaller local neighborhood bar, and oh yeah, um, I heard the I heard the uh, I, I heard the podcast when, when yeah. you interviewed the owner. It's really cute. Um, but it's one of those where we don't necessarily have all the accesses to proper glassware and 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 stuff like that. Like I can teach technique and 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 knowledge of the bartenders, but it's kind of like okay, well, we're not a big hotel casino and. You know, we don't have all the funds to do that. So you do kind of have to branch off and say, okay, well, it's okay in this class. Like, we'll get by with it in this <laughs> class and just kind of see how it goes. But from small to big, I mean, you have to, like you said, like know what it goes in and what it does, but be able to adjust. I think it's right. cool, too. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that goes for any sort of craft or art general rule. You really need technique before you can expand and play around on with it. And I think it's com- incredibly noticeable when you, I mean, you know, Tom, we go into restaurants and bars all the time. And right off the bat, you know, you know, if someone's been mm-hmm. trained that way, you know, if someone's experienced and knowledgeable and you know, when they're not, and it makes a difference. It's that judgmental thing you were talking about. Oh yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> we, I we all have it. Have we that. just don't want to, ad- we all have it. We just don't want to admit I'll it. I'll admit right? it. Like, Correct. It's fine. It's fine. No, it's it's so true, so so true, and and uh, yeah, I I agree, I completely agree. When I say you're an author, you've authored, to my knowledge, three books. Is that correct? Uh, there's a fourth one that I kind of ghost wrote. Okay. Uh, or or I 
I didn't ghostwrite it necessarily, but I um, I quarterbacked it. Let's call it that. It's okay. the USBG's Beverage and Bartending Compendium, and it's the book that is used to teach bartenders uh, or how they study for what is the Master Accreditation Program, which is an Americanized version of the Kapobarman IBIS program, right? Okay. I wanted to get into that. I want to get into your books, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But in terms of the USBG, let's get mm-hmm. into... Sure. Um, was it kind of a, a failing organization? Was it going down? Was it not being focused on? And you took a lot of pride in, into it and kind of re-brought it back. Mm-hmm. Um, how exactly did that go about? And, and what does that look like moving forward? So it was very lucky. It was all really out of luck, Tom. And that's such a good question. So the, the, the USBG, when I, before I became president, we had just founded the Las Vegas chapter. And so before Las Vegas was California, uh, right after Las Vegas came uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and w- so in California, the youngest member was me and, <laughs> yep. because I started in California, in the California chapter. And by a long shot, the, the person after me was, was 20 years older. And, and yes, we were at that time. That was, I joined in 2000. There were probably 14, 15 members and you could read the room and say, okay, oh geez, five years from now, everybody's gone. Yeah. I hate to be brutal, but <laughs> that's true. So, so then time when I, says, yeah. yeah, time says, yeah, I can't change that. So then when I moved to Las Vegas, uh, you know, Tony uh, Abuganum, Francesco LaFranconi, Bobby Jiglis, and myself, and and and, and, a, and a, a group of other ten people, we founded the Las Vegas chapter. But one day we went to actually do a meeting in Chicago. Uh, uh, to for the founding of the Chicago chapter, and at that point we had just um, impeached the previous president, who never really got impeached because he quit before the, the papers were submitted. Right. And so I was in Italy on vacation, and nobody wanted to be the national president. So who were we going to hand the hot potato to? The, <laughs> the only person in the room who cannot argue it. And so I'm it's in like it. that friends that friends episode where Chandler falls asleep and they're like, So you're moving to Tulsa? He's like, sure. That's no idea. I am, yeah. That's me. That's so true. It's so true. So I'm in Italy and I receive an email from a bunch of people. Oh, I'm sorry. I backtrack. San Francisco was a big deal chapter that at that time too. So I'm sorry. It's it's Cal it's by California I mean SoCal because at the time they were called SoCal but California right. but they were SoCal. Then came Vegas, then came San Francisco, then came Chicago. So I remember being in Italy and receiving on vacation and receiving an email. First one came from Jacques Bezidenhout in, in San Fran, and then a bunch of other people. Congratulations, you're the new interim president of the USBG. <laughs> and you're like, so, oh, what I did, yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh, so a few days later, of course, I dove right into it because for me, the IBIS was so important, and the USBG being the American IBIS to me, I couldn't imagine there not being a guild. And at that time, we had a lot of debt. It wasn't the low membership that was the problem. It was a problem that we owed the Bellagio and the Riviera a ton of money because we had just organized a big event. And then right. who knows where the money went. Right. Um, and so we rolled up our sleeves, a bunch of us, and and um, the we started opening new chapters. Of course, I reached out to the president of the IBA, who oversees all of these. They came. They flew back to town. It was German gentleman. He helped us pay some of the bills, and then we just refounded. And in two thousand and nine, I, I became president in oh four or oh five, and in two thousand and nine, we became an overnight success. Um, and that's when just the guild blew up. And I remember the Wall Street Journal wrote an article. I wish I could dig it out. But it, in the same uh, in paper, there were all these smart CFOs and CEOs that were shutting down co- companies because of the uh, the, the uh, financial crisis of that time. Right. And in the same newspaper, there's an article. Here's a group of bartenders who are really killing it and took this. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's nice. like, okay, well, see, you guys are smart CFOs. We're just a group of bartenders. Yeah. So yeah, we what do we this. know, right? What we do don't we need know? degrees at right? all. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time I left uh, or my second term was over, there were 19 chapters open. I believe there were five or six in uh, petitioning and the most important thing was that 
the liquor industry, meaning the big companies, all of the bigger ones and uh, many of the small ones, ha we had gotten them to a point where they would carve out at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year a budget for the USPG. And that's what gave us the financial stability nice. to do everything we needed to do. That's it was a great incredible. journey. I will never, ever in a billion years do it again. shaved a few years off your life, but here you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here. It helped for what I'm doing now with Master Glass, by all means. And that is my legacy. Um, it is one of my legacies, right? I've been possessed by something. I, I hate it, but I've been possessed by something and I have to leave behind a legacy, something that's important, that's great sure. for me, that outlives me. And that helped me accomplish at least one. I think that's the big, that's the big thing in the last year, maybe for a lot of people is like, holy shit, like let's do something that lasts. You know, mm -hmm. we created a podcast, you created your show. There's a, mm -hmm. you know, Dean Cerniels has created his shows. And like, there's, I see a lot of people around us are like, okay, let's do this now. And let's do something that's not going to be, you can't take it away. It's going right. to be there forever. Right. I don't know how many, how many good old Italian restaurants or Mexican restaurants really closed down during the pandemic or, or a lot, not many right now, the fusion German, Spanish, Asian restaurants, those might've had a more difficult time. Um, because, you know, Jackie mentioned earlier, what was it? Nostalgia, right? Or was it nostalgia, the term you yeah. used? But nobody has nostalgia of something that started three minutes ago, right? So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can't. Um, so time-tested things are important. They're not the end-all, be-all. We have to innovate daily, but we can't forget what got us here. You can't forget. Yeah. And sometimes you don't fix what isn't broken either. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if it works, yeah. it works, you know, and then yeah. we should stick with that. Totally understand. So you are currently uh, with Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits, correct? Yes. And what is your position there and what are you doing for Southern? So it's Because I am just now like newly working with Southern on a personal basis. No, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So I've been with Southern for since for 21 years. Um, I've, and as far as the front of the house, meaning, um, sales and mixology and customer support and all those things, management, I've done, I've almost had every role that you can yeah. think of from running a division to running a team, uh, to being a sales rep to mixology. When the pandemic came, we of course had to uh, furlough a lot of people in, including, uh, myself. And when I came back, the, the, the mixology education and cocktail department was completely gone. And so I took on the role that I started with 21 years ago. And so I full circle, full circle, right? full, circle baby, <laughs> full circle. And it actually is incredibly helpful to me because after managing and after having to do forecasts and progression and pro projections and talk about numbers and manage people, it's really good to go back to the cocktail. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course it helps me for my YouTube show as well, because I'm, I'm, I'm being challenged right now with the big, both the big hotels that are re that are opening right now and that are throwing at my, uh, my way, you know, big projects and important projects and custom made and Asian influenced and Instagrammable and all those buzz buzzwords right. uh, that need to happen. Could you be talking about Resorts World at all? I could be. <laughs> <laughs> And also the little mom and pops, yeah. right? What are their challenges? It's so fun to help right. a small bar and a small restaurant for free. Hey, I will you? be in touch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Please do. You know how to get me. <laughs> so uh, your YouTube channel, mm -hmm. uh, focusing on cocktails, procedures, mm -hmm. education, blast it out there. Tell us exactly what you're doing. I love it. So the, the premise of Master Your Glasses is this. Uh, of course, for 30 years, I have been in two different continents. I've been helping bars, restaurants, bartenders, um, liquor companies improve themselves, improve their products, improve their services. And from, from that perspective, it's very unique to me because most, uh, most of the time, those are two different, those are, it's difficult to find people that know how to do both. It's really hard to be good at sales and management and good at slinging drinks. And vice versa. Sure. And so my 30 years of experience have taught me how to do a lot of that. Uh, but on YouTube, I take all the things that I've learned from 
pre-batching for fast casinos that were waiting for 19,000 people to break out of a convention and have to serve a drink quickly, all the way to that little mom and pop uh, hotel bar that I worked at 30 years ago. On you, on my YouTube show, I take all of that experience and I bring it to people at home so that they can learn how to make drinks just as good as the bar or the restaurant that they like to drink at. And um, I hope and I try to eliminate all the intimidation from it because I want them to know. The thing about YouTube that's interesting is there's really not a whole lot of actual bartender experts that do it. Mm. And most of the great channels are run by bartender, by people that are not bartenders. Right. And so I tried to change that by, and the reason of that also is because the bartenders that did run it in, in the past, we're talking about what we want to talk about, not what the consumer wants to talk about. I'm trying to be, of course, again, that conduit bridging that, gra- that gap to be the person that says, yeah, I've been doing that. Yes, we've we've opened sophisticated bars, but right now we're in my living room and um, we're going to just right. make a really simple drink. So, you know, sometimes I'll go to my friend's house, right? And it'll be me, Tony, Francesco, Bobby, and whatever, right? And we're making Negronis at Tony's house and we'll open Tony's freezer and we'll Which, pull Which, by the way, that's a pretty cool party. That's I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> oh, and, and, and Tony I'm just sure redid his kitchen. I'm sure that's somebody's fill the seats list, I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And Tony's redid his kitchen. But we'll take ice out of the freezer and put it in the glass with our hands. And then we'll host these shows where we're like, well, you have to have proper technique and you have to use your tongue. Right. Wait a second. Exactly. We don't do this. Why are we telling people that we have to do this? So in that show, I try to bridge that gap and I try to say, listen – um, this is one way. This is the other way. Uh, you know, don't think that they're interchangeable in the same setting, but understand that they're both very useful, right? You can do it this way or that way as long as you're not grabbing ice with your hands in front of your customer and you're right. not using the tweezers in front of your best friend who just wants to hear. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. So that's the premise of the show. And of course, the tagline is expert instruction for everyday consumption, which means I bring experts. I bring anybody I can. If you want to find out how the original Irish coffee is made, there's a few videos on there, but I go to the Buena Vista. If you want to find out how the original Tommy's Marg is made, I go to Julio Bermejo. If you want to find out how to make the original Trinidad Sour, you go to... um to uh, uh, Giuseppe Gonzalez, right? And, and there's only one show that has all of them together. So I try right. to uh, give you, you know, the expert and where, as get as close as possible to where the drink was made. Because what you learn from those people is that variation is is a thing. You you sure. know you won't, you won't go to. To, to, to Julio and he'll tell you, you have to use this tequila because this is the first tequila I made it with. Nope. Use any yeah. tequila you want. Silver, Repo, and yeah. Modify. Modify. Yeah. Right. And so that teaches you modification is good, but it gives you a little bit of those boundaries that the inventor of the cocktail likes to give you, which I adore. Um, you know, so yeah, that's Master Glass in a nutshell. It's amazing. I'm self-admittedly, I love technology. I work for a tech company. I use it all the time. Mm -hmm. But I'm still amazed that we can sit in our car at a stoplight and do anything from our phone, right? And in terms of just YouTube itself and hearing you talk about this resource, it's extremely exciting and wonderful. And for people that love this industry and want to learn, this resource is there, accessible to anybody. I mean, that's just mind-blowing that you can have that kind of education Mm -hmm. and tools. I mean, you talk about 10, 15, 20 years ago, it never would have happened. So for people that really you know, want to advance themselves and and their careers and just learn and extra knowledge. I mean, take advantage of this. It's absolutely, absolutely. There was a time when YouTube was for the rookies, right? Okay. Let's start a YouTube channel. Now everybody's on YouTube. Yeah. Everybody. You can learn anything. Yeah. Second largest search engine. And the only reason why it's the second largest is because it's owned by the first, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and so, and I always say, I mean, if you're a small business right now, 
take advantage of YouTube, film everything and put it on YouTube. People will yeah. want to see it. I mean, today, if I, my daughter's now 13, if I had my daughter was, was one now and I were teaching her how to tie her shoes, I'd literally film me tying shoes on YouTube. I'd put it on my channel and I'd go, honey, go check on it once in a while. Yep. Filming is everything. 10,000 sh- views. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, video is important. So important. YouTube's amazing. Okay, cool. That's great, man. I mean, to to everybody out there and people that are listening to this and tell people about this. Master Your Glass on YouTube. Definitely check it out. You are learning from a master. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Um, let's get into Liquid Legacy, The 12 Cocktails, The Beverage Engineer. Mm-hmm. And these are books that you've written yep. on top of having a an enormous book collection. Yes. Yes. You can't so I'll see start it with to the, our well, listeners, but it, that um, is a gorgeous setup you've got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a lot. It's a lot. I hope one day to have a place. The best way, if, if anybody wants to collect books, by the way, my biggest recommendation is share them. If you share them, anybody's open to come to my house and grab books and read them. I don't mind that some of them are older and that they can break. We'll just get them repaired. Um, but if you share them, the word gets out that you collect them. And when the word gets out that you collect them, people who are trying to unload their books find you. And that's yeah. the best way. Uh, but um, I think in these day and age, it's hard. I mean, I don't think a lot of people get books anymore. Yeah, to be how honest do you with feel you, because about of Amazon everything, because of everything we just said about mm-hmm. the internet. Right. You know, and how accessible things are to actually hold a book and read it is so outdated right totally. now. But, totally. You know, it's it's so worth it. It's so funny. Yeah. My father is retired now, but a college professor forever, wrote his own books, loves books, reads everything, knowledge is power, the whole nine. And I always remember growing up books and books and books and books forever. And I just, mm-hmm. I loved it. And then, you know, moves and happen and you downsize. And he said, okay. I'm going to get rid of some of my books and I'm going to try this e-reader thing, right? Because then I can travel, (laughs) I can see it. And honest to God, like I see him put it in the corner and he orders the physical book on Amazon. He just can't because at at the end of the day, I just want to hold a book in my hands. I want to flip the pages. I want to see it in paper. And that's just... Oh, absolutely. It's too hard. That's why books aren't going anywhere. Right, right. Before we get to your books... Yes. I want to know which one of your books... Not that you've written, but ones that you're a collector of. Uh, do you have a top three that you would recommend? Must read. That you, that that really are to you must reads. And these are like, if if I have to put a couple books in this safe and the house is burning, these are the books I pick. Well, I'm going to, yes. And I'm going to stay away from the usual suspects, right? A lot of people will say uh, Gaz Regan's book, um, so Gaz Reagan's Mixology, of course, is a great book. And also Dale DeGroff's uh, The Craft of the Cocktail. They're great books, not just because they are great people or they, um, uh, Gaz, of course, may he rest in peace, uh, but because the content of their books is actually highly teachable material. Um, as far as the books that I like, I am more enamored, believe it or not, with the era that goes post-prohibition. And I like the struggling bartender story. So the story of Jerry Thomas and all those people, they were living in the greatest era of the cocktails. Everything was great. The economy was great. Blah, 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 blah. But the people that were bartending in the 60s and 70s and 80s, they really fascinate me because they were doing it. I started in 94, so I'm going to. I'm on the cusp of that too. Sure. So I'm going to say we, but mostly they, way, way, way more, were doing it when it wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. And those right. are, that era really fascinates me. So I like this book here, which I'm going to show you. It's called The Cocktail Reference Manual. And it was written by Tommy Stinger, Thomas Stinger. And this one actually was published, believe it or not, by the United States Bartenders Guild. Wow. And the reason why I really like this book is because it's so relatable to those people in the bartending community that would bartend and compete because they would understand the struggle between I'm competing. Where do I get ingredients? I can't steal them from my bar. I really love bartending. Ingredients right now aren't good. There was that daily struggle that you get. Um, from being a bartender that was bartending at bars, serving customers, but trying really to elevate mm. their craft 
by competing in competitions. So this is a great book, and it takes me back against, again, 70s, 80s. I mean, of course, this one here that I have in front of me is a, is this piece here is, um, how can I say it? It, it, I, it was, it came with the book. But this one here actually tells the story of how the, the bartender, United States Bartenders Guild, was came to life. Oh, wow. Came to life. And I put it in my Liquid Legacy book. And so this book here is really cool, Tommy Stinger. The, la the next one is, I, I hate to bring up all people that have passed away, but just the second one here is, this one here is called Bastards. And uh, Brian Ray just passed away last month. Oh, he was no. a 94-year-old. He was the oldest bartender alive i want to say and he was the bee's knees of his time um even our my, my dear friend dale DeGroff, they went to raid his library when they were writing their books and he had a big library of cocktail books sold it many years ago but brian teaches us that it's all really just fun and games and yeah. he, you know you get to this career where you learn and you learn and you're you want to learn more and you should always learn more. But then you get to this really good sense of maturity in life where you say, you know what? It's time. It, we have to remember to take this really, really, really not, not take this so really, serious. really too seriously. And so all these things he has, he has uh weirdo cocktails. And again, this is a person that had every book has every piece and read all of them. He has every piece of knowledge. But he just reminds us with Bastards from Brian Ray that um, things are just really, really... Fun. I feel like I'm at that point in my career right now, to be very, <laughs> to be very honest yeah. with you. Like, I used to like um, really, really care where I worked and what shift mm -hmm. I worked and what hotel I worked in and what competitions I won or competed in. And like now, honestly, I'm in a local spot. I take a lot of pride in my bar program, my drink menu, and... I do think a lot more basic now of this is fun. Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. a fun profession. And I mean, it's, you know, I say, I've said this before, it's the second oldest profession ever for a reason. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, they say love to love you, to love other people. You have to love yourself. There's a reason why most Uber generous people are older, right? Because they got their years of selfishness, of wanting to hustle and bustle out of the way, and now they're really ready to help others. And so, Tom, you're at a, you're at a place in life, right? In my opinion, where you've matured to the point where it's no longer about having the best gig in town. It's right. about starting a podcast, helping others, give them value, and it's very honorable, man. And 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 um. It takes a lot to do that because you're, especially you, this podcast here, both you, Tom and uh, both Tom and Jackie, you, it's not like your faces are on these posters. You're not doing it <laughs> right, for yeah. the notoriety, no. right? It's right. such a genuine, beautiful thing. Oh, um, so thank really you. quick, yeah, um, and I and I and I mean it really quickly. The last book, and I shouldn't say book, it's a series of books, and people are going to laugh about it, and hey, man, laugh as much as you want. Right. The, the, um, to get a recipe, you can go on Google. So anybody who's looking for a recipe guide, don't buy a book. Just go on Google, right? It'll, it'll tell you recipes written, the actual recipe written by the person who made it and, and the 17 people after it that improved it. Exactly. So, you know, so I look at books for research, and... Uh, I really like the Mr. Boston series. Now, the Mr. Boston, some of them are like $1.99. They started in 1934. I think I have a little booklet that was 1933, which is interesting, right in the middle of prohibition. <laughs> but it's Red and Black book series started in 34, and there was almost one printed every year. And some of them were printed even twice a year because they would run out of copies. Now, why is that important for me? Because I can open each one of them and I can look at historically what America was drinking and not. So if I open the 53 Boston and there was no margarita yet, right? And then I open the 54 version and finally the recipe of the margarita comes right. out. Yeah. I know certain things and those things just intrigue me oh, infinitely. Um, so laugh as much as you want, Mr. Boston. I love it. And, and, <laughs> and when, awesome. yeah, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> the must haves. 
Namaste. So tell us about your books. Okay, so I'll start with the boring one so we get it out of the way. The first, the boring one, which which was my second book, is uh, is the um, is the beverage engineer. The beverage engineer year is simply a book that I wrote because I also teach at UNLV, and that's not only the reason, but I really could not find, and most most professors have a hard time with it, the book that teach it, that explains things the way they teach it, right? Mm-hmm. You can nitpick at it, but I was looking for a book where after page 13, we pay, read page 14, and after 14, we read 15, and, and it followed my way of doing it. And so, and then my co-author, uh, partner, Armando, he teaches the academy in Florida, and so he needed something similar. So both of us having also a background of working for Southern and needing an additional tool, which is the elevator pitch, we created the beverage engineer, and the beverage engineer starts with an elevator pitch. What is vodka? There's a six-word description of what vodka is. Tell me more, then it progressively takes you from here's what it is okay. to here's how it's made. So that's it's just a really good textbook, and, and nothing more than that. The second, and I'm and I'm excluding the the book that I guess that I that that I co-edited or ghost wrote for, for with the USBG, and so my second book is of course one of the legacies that I believe will stay for a while, and it's the Twelve Cocktails. And the Twelve Cocktails was important because when it came out. In 2015, at that time, it was like the three-hour energy versus the four-hour energy versus five-hour energy. Mm -hmm. You went to a bookstore at that time, and it was how to make a 1,000 cocktails. And then next to it was how to make 1,012. Yeah. 2,000. And then 11,000. And so what did we do? We said, listen, there's really only a handful of cocktails, and all of them are just repetitious of each other with interchangeable plug-and-play ingredients. So what are they? And we wrote the 12 cocktails. And so that, that book there is really cool if you're trying to learn cocktails, not hospitality, not bartending, cocktails. Right. Um, you learn those 12 recipes and they give you a template of how everything really just falls into those 12. I it's feel like really- that's the 12 days of Christmas. That's how we can all celebrate right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, cool, the cool part about that though is like as bartenders, everybody wants to be the bartender, right? So they feel like they have to memorize a thousand recipes. Right. When in all reality, there's, like you said, a base 12 and there's branches off of them. Right. And that's really it. Like I made a, um, I was at work the other day and I made an original 1944 Mai Tai. Beautiful. And I had my other bartenders and a server and my manager, other manager try it. And they're like, what is this? I'm like, "It's it's a Mai Tai. No, it's not. This is no Mai Tai because they're so used to like the light and fruity and, you know, but I'm like, this is it. This is a real Mai Tai. And they said, oh, wow, that's really, really good. And, you know, or you, you make an original old fashioned. Well, nowadays people add shit like ginger ale and soda or some something crazy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not an old fashioned. Like, they're very simple to learn. But once you learn the branches of them, that's when you start to get... Your, I mean, your drink catalog in your mind goes crazy. I'm totally Absolutely. laughing right now because I've said this before. It is so funny that you talked about us being judgmental. It always comes down to the old fashioned for Tom, and Tom That's is my- the <laughs> most judgmental person when it comes to watching someone make an old fashioned. It's like a twitch, and you're right. Like, it's so funny, but it's so Listen, true. Listen, I'm sure just like with with Dario, it's probably a Negroni. Right. You know, with, with, like me, it's, with me, it's a Negroni. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There you go. But, yeah. And even, you know, Robert Hess, who was drinkboy.com, he, he wrote one of the first drinking blogs back in, gosh, 2000 or even before that. Great, great guy. And his whole thing was it all started, he, he would always go at bars and order an old fashioned. That was mm-hmm. the thing. starting point. Right. And even in the 12 cocktails, I'm, you know, when I teach the class versus when you just read the book, I teach people to ask those questions, right? Because you never know who's in front of you. And there are four different solid old fashioned uh, drinks out there. It's just who you're making it for. Dodge the fruit. Don't put ginger ale to me. But the person next to me might want the muddled fruit, the muddled cherry, the muddled cherry and orange, and all that. But yeah, that's funny that you brought up of all that. <laughs> it's what you yeah. just said was so interesting, though, because I uh, I risk people kind of getting 
maybe offended for me saying this, but I think we're in such a self-centric environment world right now that sometimes in a bar, it's like, oh, well, I make it this way. And really, Mm -hmm. it should be, who cares how you want to do it? The point of being there is, I want to give you what you want, so let's do it your way. And I think there's a lot of that flip that that needs to happen right now in the industry, widespread. You know, there's always repetitious stories and I always hear, I've heard so many stories of bartenders say, well, this guest came to my bar and told me they didn't like gin. So I made them a gin drink and they really liked it. Happy ending. I love it. The part where he told you or she told you that they did not like gin and you stubbornly still made a gin drink for them is right. called poor hospitality. <laughs> now, the final re- <laughs> now the, the final result worked. So, hey, all, all, all that ends well <laughs> right. good. But yeah, absolutely, Jackie, 100%. 100%. That's why when I, I always ask people, and they say, I don't know what I want. and What do you like? What are your said, flavors? They, yeah. they said, just make me something. I say, no. I, like, I, I want you to give me an avenue. Give me a street. Do you prefer vodkas, gins, bourbons? What, like, give, give me a route. Start, yeah, start me on a right path, right. and then I kind of know where I'm going. And then if I give it to you and you don't like it, great, we can work on something else. Absolutely. But I'm not just going to go make you what I want to make you and and hope you like it. And all of a sudden, that's when you start getting drinks coming back. And you're like, what the hell's happening? Oh, totally. Totally. You want to judge someone but and and you want to be able to read them. But we're not mind readers as much as we'd all love to be. So Totally. Yeah. I always, uh, you know, my, my students, I teach them through the 12 cocktails. If somebody just, we have scenarios, right, where, you know, it's a rainy day, somebody walks in, their teeth are shivering, what are you going to, you know, they want to drink, they're not very specific, what questions are you going to ask? And of course, it walks them through to the Irish coffee category, let's make a variation of what they like, right? But yes, the questions, to to Tom's point, you got to ask questions. And the ones that I like to ask are, of course, are you looking for something refreshing? Or are you looking for something um, kind of boozy? And then yeah. if, or are you looking for something dessert style, right? So now in my brain, what goes is refreshing. Let's just call it a gin and tonic boozy. Let's just call it a Manhattan and desserty. Let's just call that a brandy Alexander. And then I start asking them, what do you gravitate to? Uh, you know, what spirit do you gravitate to? So if they say, I like gin, and their first answer was something dessert-like, then in my brain, my brain really pragmatically says, okay, Jen Alexander. And then I'll ask them another question, like, is there something you want it to taste like? Oh, gosh, I would really like this to have, like, a maybe coffee. Okay, and my brain says, Jen Alexander with coffee. And then I do something like that. Right. So, cocktail serving guests at bars is more about excluding all these recipes that are in your brain, getting rid of the ones that are in the way so that you find the right one. And more than trying to make something from scratch that doesn't exist, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. So book three, the last one, is The Liquid Legacy. Now, The Liquid Legacy, it, to me, it's a gem that just hasn't... um bloomed yet because i haven't really made it as big as i should um but currently ooh, sorry currently the liquid legacy is simply a 30 it's a 27 page book and in it i pay homage to some bartenders that nobody knows and because i feel like it's always important to talk it's always popular to talk about Jerry Thomas and Harry Craddock and Harry Johnson and Trader Vic. But I, in this book, I am taking people, all of which maybe all but one have passed away and have passed away by a long shot that were never recognized. Sure. As cool. Everyone has a story to tell. And I point out why they're cool. Mm -hmm. Why? Not because I just picked them out of a fishbowl. There's a reason why I this bartender did something really interesting for uh, the bartending world. And so in it, you know, and then I point out things like, you know, the margarita. Nobody knows, not, not many people know, but a USBG member by the name of Johnny Derlesser, one of the founders of the California Bartenders Guild, which then turned into the USBG, um, has an active role in the margarita. He might have invented it, but even if he didn't, it is 100% thanks to him that it became popular in America. 
Nice. That's Anybody crazy. hear Johnny Durlesser before? No, Nobody did, more, right? The is more you know. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> and, and but that's I think a really that's, big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And there's a few more really big examples in the Liquid Legacy. And I think, honestly, Jackie, if I have to say it, I, and I have to be honest to everybody out there, in that, in this book, there's a generosity, but it's not generous. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take credit for being the guy that went out and dug and found these poor people that were never recognized. <laughs> Look how great Livio is. I, I'm doing it. I'm selfishly doing it for karma. I'm hoping that one day when I'm not here, somebody will dig out something that I did and share it. And so it's a selfish right. work. Don't make no mistake about it. I, I love it. You have to be. You, you have to be in order to create those legacies. You know, in order to create those legacies, you have to be selfish at some point and say, this is something that I want to pass on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's but incredible. it's also a good deed. Like there is no self unselfish good deed or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. And make no mistake about it. I spent money, time, and effort in doing this. And I'm big on legacy. And I, ho- I hope that uh, we can make this episode a little longer. There's a few important things that I love to, you know, I love to talk about. So, yeah. Well, there you go. That's amazing. So uh, where can everyone get this book? So the... Unfortunately, the one, the only one of the three that is not available on Amazon currently is the Liquid Legacy, mm. uh, because I'm still expanding it. Okay. Uh, I have, for all purposes, I will be. It's a, it's a gem. It's such a quick, cool read. But you know, I am at Livialaro on Instagram. If you Instagram me with your address, I'll send it to you. It's, it's not a profit uh, thing as of yet. You oh, I'm getting it. one. I was gonna you say I'm gonna, gonna do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> You can't find it anywhere, you know. Hopefully one day it'll become the 80-page book. I think anywhere between 50 and 80 is a manageable. I have all these books. I haven't. I have not read cover to cover any of them, but I've used every single one of them for reference. Right, at some point in time. At some point in time, right. And so I think 50 to 80 pages are always um, manageable for anybody to read, and I would like to get Liquid Legacy to that point. That's amazing. I can't wait for it to be... More widespread, but in the meantime, yes, send your message. It'll be the book with all the useless recipes. I mean, no recipe is useless. Mm -mm. Right. (laughs) You're right. And those recipes came from bartenders who poured their heart into it. And you can laugh as much as you want at a fuzzy navel or a, a crappy whatever buttery nipple. They were made by bartenders who at that time, that time when those drinks were popular and, and of interest, they were bartenders that at that time were pouring their hearts into a recipe to serve to people. And so I want to preserve that because it's so easy to just say, oh, the 80s, oh, they sucked. Thank goodness. They, they yeah. used fake this, fake that. Well, that's- Oh, their drinks were so easy to make and it's just so uncomplicated. Well, that's what people liked. Right. It's so fruity. I mean, there's no balance of acid and alcohol. Okay, great. But that's what their consumers wanted and they were doing it the best they could. And now they're gone. They didn't give to live this era where where it's so easy for us. And we're not preserving what they did and we're making fun of them. I, I don't want that to happen. Right. Either. I really so. love that because I think it just kind of speaks to the whole purpose of our podcast and that you're connecting to the people behind the drink. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, those are my three babies. I love it. That's, That's so awesome. cool. So speaking of threes, yeah. we, we play this fun little game we call Fill the Seats. And I am very, very interested about yours because not many people, to be very honest, can just sit there and call Tony Abugamin and Dale DeGroff and they're just like they're buddies of mine and we both chill and hang out. So like, there's some people that are like, those are my fill the seats. Um, I am very, very interested on yours. So Jackie, break down the rules and... uh, Please. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. For everyone that may know or not know, uh, you get three seats at your bar. Anybody you'd like to serve, anybody that you want to sit at your bar and ask the questions that you can make a drink for, and they can be dead or alive. We try to stay away from family because everybody wants their family, you know, to come back and, and that's like reserved. We already know that. So maybe an idol, maybe a music person, maybe anybody you want. 
What's in your brain? Maybe, Who would maybe be at it's Dale DeGroff. Yeah. Who knows? But like, maybe those, those three people that you would say, if anybody else is sitting here, you guys got to get up. This is happy hour, and these are the three people I want. Ooh, I just got the chills. Okay. <laughs> I love I it. I love this game. I little just got the chills. Okay. So, um, I might want to refresh my Negroni before we do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Give me a second. Let me go refresh my Negroni and we'll, we'll jump back in. No problem. I love you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> well, ask and you shall receive, sir. As a matter of fact, how about we all go refresh our beverages and come back next week for the conclusion of this incredible, oh, I hate incredible episode. They get me every time. And it just gets better and better. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I'll be here next week. I can't wait. Thanks, everyone, for listening this week. Um, We are excited. It's been a year. We've been doing this podcast for an entire year, and we're excited to celebrate with you. It's been a rocky one. It's been probably the craziest year of every single one of your lives, and we thank you for letting us be a part of it and letting us just put our passions and our you know, brains to work to produce this and um, we're having a great time. So we'll keep doing it. (laughs) If you want to check out all of the episodes that we've done in the last year, go to barstarspodcast.com where you can click and listen to them as many times as you want. And there's some pretty impressive people that we've talked to in the last year. Yeah. If you're new to us, uh, check back. We've got some really crazy, interesting guests and uh, we've got some more on deck. So definitely check those out and uh, follow us on uh, Instagram at Bar Stars Podcast. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us some love. Can't wait till next week. Until next time, everybody. Cheers. Um, by the way, that is the most perfect segue into a second episode. Let me refresh my Negroni before we do this.